Well, good morning, everyone. It's been a real blessing to be here today and hear the Word of God and all those kind of things, fellowship together. <clears throat> Thought it was very interesting how God works, especially this morning. He gave me the... He didn't give me. He gave Brother Earl the ending of my message before I preach. Perfect ending. And I'm going to let you see if you can figure out what that ending is. I'll probably say it at the end, but he just laid it out so perfectly that I was very blessed. I'm going to preach about sacrifices this morning. wasn't sure what to title it. I was going to preach about sacrifices. Should I say the Lord's sacrifice or how we sacrifice or whatever. So finally I just gave up and said, okay, I'm going to preach about sacrifices. So that's the title of the message. Hopefully it's not going to be boring. Sometimes when we think about the sacrifices in the Old Testament, it seemed like there was an endless amount of them, and we go diving into the details of that and how they point to the New Testament stuff, our eyes can kind of glaze over and we'd kind of get lost in all that. Well, I'm going to look at some of those sacrifices, but hopefully it won't be too boring. And I would like for a few of the brothers to give a definition of what you think about when you think about a sacrifice. A sacrifice can either be a noun or a verb. What do you think about? What kind of a definition would you give that? As I was thinking about it, it was more difficult to come up with the exact thought than what I figured it would be. Another thing to remember is that it's a huge subject. It starts at the beginning of the Bible and goes to the end. So does anyone have any short definition they have for sacrifice? Surrendering something that's valuable. Okay, surrendering something that's valuable for something more valuable probably. Okay, that's a good one. Death, that's the definite part of sacrifice, yeah. Something offered up. Offered up to what? (laughs) To God. Offered to something greater than us. Maybe we could say it that way. Those are all good thoughts. Well, the official definition (laughs) goes like this. A verb is defined as to offer to God in homage or worship by killing and consuming as victims on an altar, either as an atonement for, for sin or to procure favor or to express thankfulness as to sacrifice an ox or a lamb. And another thing that's interesting about this word sacrifice is it comes from two Latin words, I believe, First one is sacer, which means sacred. And the second word is fascio, which means to make. So it comes from the word, it means to make sacred. It changes something that is secular to something that is sacred. And we can see that very clearly as they offered animals in sacrifice. Another Part of the meaning would be to destroy, surrender, or suffer, to be lost for the sake of obtaining something. That's kind of like what Luke said. 
And then I have a few more here too. Um, a lot of them are similar. <clears throat> an offering made to God by killing or burning some animal upon an altar. As an acknowledgement of His power and providence, or to make atonement for sin, appease His wrath or conciliate His favor, or express thankfulness. A sacrifice differs from an oblation, the latter being an offering of a thing entire or without change, such as tithes or firstfruits. When you give money to the Lord, it doesn't change into anything else. A sacrifice implies destruction or killing, as of a beast. And there's several reasons for sacrifice. One is atoning for sin, another is seeking favor, and another is expressing thanks. And they had some really fancy words to explain that that I'm not even going to try to say because I'm sure you'd forget them. Um, another one is destruction, surrender, or loss made or incurred for, a ga- for gaining some object or for obliging another. So if we think about um, making a sacrifice, losing something to obtain something better, well, is that only a different type of an economy? Like we give up money for something we think is worth more than the money we have. If I'm hungry and I come by a McDonald's and I stop for a Happy Meal, $3.69 or whatever it costs, I would sacrifice that for food. Is that what a sacrifice is? Just a different type of economy? If it would be, sacrificing would be easy, wouldn't it? Well, oh, I'd easily give up this for something else. So sacrificing would be easy for us. But for some reason it isn't. It isn't easy for us. It's something we don't want to do. It seems to me that it's kind of a different type of economy. So giving up something material for something heavenly that we can't see. And that's why it's so difficult. And another reason it's difficult is because we have an enemy that is trying to change values. Trying to make us think one thing is more important than another when it's really the other way around. That makes it so difficult. If we go back to the beginning of sacrifices, the first real sacrifice we have listed in the Bible is in Genesis 4. <clears throat> 1 to 5. And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. we often assume that God had told Cain and Abel what kind of an offering is acceptable to him, that he needs an animal sacrifice with bloodshed to be acceptable. Well, that's kind of an assumption. We're not told that, that God told them what he wants. And as I read through this, 
I decided that's probably not the important thing in this account. One thing we do know is that Cain had a bad attitude. He had a very bad attitude. His anger that came out afterwards indicates the attitude he had beforehand. He had an arrogant spirit before. So I think it was an attitude more than what he offered that was not allowing God to have respect unto his offering. And another thing we notice is that in verse 3, it says that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. It doesn't say how he decided what to offer. It doesn't say how he decided what to choose of his fruits even. It just says he offered an offering of the fruit of the ground. Now if we go to Abel's sacrifice, what does it say about his offering? He brought of the firstlings of his flock, the very best that he had, the firstling, and of the fat thereof. He brought something that was well-favored, was plump. (laughs) He brought something that was doing very good, the best that he had. But what does it say about Cain? He just brought us fruit of the ground. It doesn't say that he spent any time figuring out what was the best that he could give to God. And I think that's a very important part of why God had respect unto Abel's sacrifice. And it also says in Hebrews 11:4, by faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Faith was a very key ingredient because Abel was seeking to please God in the best way that he knew how. He had faith that God was worth sacrificing the best. Cain kind of like, I guess I have to give a sacrifice and I think this will do. Attitude is so very important when making a sacrifice. Okay, now let's go to Genesis 8. This is the account of Noah offering a sacrifice, beginning in verse 20. And Noah built an altar unto the Lord, and took of every clean beast, and of every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. So why did Noah decide it was important to offer a sacrifice at this point in his life? I think there's several reasons. First of all, he was thankful that God spared his life and showed him mercy above all other people. He got out of the ark and looked around and said, hey, I'm the only one left except for his children. Wow, God, you really were sparing my life. Thank you, Lord. And he wanted to give something back to God. I believe he was also committing his future to God. It looked pretty lonesome to be on the planet Earth by himself. But he was also acknowledging that God is worthy to be trusted. He took care of him when... It started raining and the ark started floating. How did he know the ark wasn't going to flip upside down? God took care of him through the storm and floating all the way around on the water. 
And what about when they're going to land? Where are we going to land? How are we going to get it to the right spot? But God took care of all that. God is worthy to be trusted. And that's why he was offering a sacrifice. Another thing about committing his future to God is how many animals did Noah have to offer? He didn't have a real big selection. And they were the only ones that were left. But it didn't seem like he was too worried about that. God, you can take care of that too. We're going to offer whatever we need to. And I'm sure he also recognized that in spite of God's mercy and taking care of him, he was still a sinful man and he needed a Savior. Another thing that we notice, or several things in this account, is that he offered voluntarily. There was no commandment from God that first thing I want you to do is offer a sacrifice. He did it voluntarily because his heart was so um, turned toward God in this time, what God had done. And he offered it promptly. Not next week. You know, he could have said, hey, we need to build a house quick here and we need to get some stuff planted and on and on. But the first thing he did was offer a sacrifice. He didn't wait. That was an inspiration to me. And then he offered liberally one-seventh of his herd. An ox, a sheep, a goat, a chicken, a dove. I don't know what all he offered, but he offered a lot. And then we see an effect that this offering had on God. It says, God smelled a sweet savor. And I don't know if it was actually the odor that he smelled as much as the attitude he sensed from Noah that blessed him so abundantly. The offering was accepted and God made a promise. It seemed like it was a result of this offering. He smelled a sweet savor and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. He promised to never destroy the earth with a flood again, even though man is evil. God recognized that this isn't going to take care of the sin problem with men, but he's never going to destroy the earth with a flood again. And another thing that I thought was interesting, I don't know if I ever saw that before, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake, as if the curse of the ground is sufficient. It's not going to get worse. Because of Noah's offering, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. And in, in thinking of that, I wonder if we are still reaping the blessing of Noah's sacrifice today because God said he's not going to curse the earth anymore than what he has. And it seemed like it was a result of Noah's sacrifice. Now let's think of Abraham's sacrifices. In Genesis 12, after the Lord had told Abraham to leave Ur of the Chaldees, and they went uh, part way, and then he called him again and said, It's time to go further. In verse 7, And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar. And it doesn't say that he offered a sacrifice on the altar, but I believe he did. 
He built an altar to the Lord who appeared unto him. And then verse 8, And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west, and Hai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord. And in chapter 13, 4, he went, uh, yeah, he went to Egypt for a while, then he came back unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first, and there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. And in verse 18, he moved around again. Then Abraham removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Chapter 21, verse 33. And Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. It seemed like everywhere he went, he built an altar to the Lord. And I believe that he wanted to keep in touch with God. God told him, I'm going to, you go out and I'm going to show you where to go. So Abraham said, well, I guess I've got to keep listening to God. So he kept building altars and worshiping the Lord. <clears throat> He was so accustomed to making sacrifices that he was able to pass the supreme test of offering his son. When God told him later to offer his son, he was able to listen, to know that it was God speaking, and to pass that supreme test. <clears throat> now we go over to Egypt to the time when God instituted the Passover, Egypt. Um, no, Exodus 12. I'm going to read from 1 to 14. <clears throat> now, I don't know if Israel was used to offering sacrifices before this or not. I don't think it was necessarily a strange thing for them to do and even the pagan nations around them offered sacrifices. It seemed like it was kind of a normal thing for people to do. But this was a different one in that God was giving them clear directions how to do it. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb. According to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the houses, wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs with the pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. 
And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. This was a new kind of sacrifice. This was a mandatory one. I'm not sure that they had mandatory sacrifices before, but this was mandatory. It was a matter of life or death. This was a new thought to them. <clears throat> and as I was thinking about the process of choosing a lamb on the tenth day, going out there and choosing the best lamb that they had, and keeping it until the fourteenth day. So that was four days. And what happens when you take a lamb away from the flock? It starts be- bleeding and bawling or whatever it is, yeah. It starts making noise, and it probably lasts for four days. So for four days, they had to hear this lamb bleeding and bleeding. And I wonder what that did to their hearts and their minds. Were they feeling sorry for this lamb? It would seem like it, possibly. To think that in four days, this lamb's going to have to die. I would think it would definitely have had, a, had an effect on their hearts. Its blood will save our lives. It was very personal to them. Very personal, more personal than before. And also God established it as a yearly remembrance. So this was the first of the sacrifices that God ordained and um, told them they should keep it as a yearly sacrifice. And then, later, he gave them a lot more sacrifices. Later on, as he led them through the wilderness, after the tabernacle was built, God listed a whole bunch of sacrifices. I think we can bring them down to five different sacrifices, basically. The burnt offering, the sin offering, the meat offering, which had no meat, trespass offering, and the peace offering. There were some variations of these offerings which were offered at different, different times throughout the year. But there was five different offerings. Some of them were offered daily, a morning and evening sacrifice. Every day there was one made. Some of them were free will offerings. They still had those free will offerings that they would make. Some of them were mandatory, such as the Passover. They were supposed to keep that every year. Some of the sacrifices were eaten, such as the Passover was eaten, and I think there was another one too that was eaten. Some of them, the people that brought the sacrifice ate of it. Some of them, just the priests ate of it. And some of them were completely burned up. I tried to figure out how many sacrifices they make in a year's time, and I didn't come up with a, a sure number. I did have a chart that listed how many sacrifices they make 
in the special days throughout the year, and I forgot to bring it, but I think it was something like uh, 90-some bulls and 125 or 30 lambs, and then some rams and some goats yet, not quite so many, but that was just on the special days. And there was one feast, especially the Feast of the Tabernacle, where they had, in seven days, they would have offered 48 bulls and about 100 lambs in seven days' time. Just lots and lots of sacrifices, plus the morning and evening sacrifice that was every day. That was a lot of sacrifices. I found an account that somebody wrote a story of what it was like in the life of a Levite in those days. One day in the life of a Levite. How laborious, protracted, and intricate was this mosaic worship system, yet how imposing. No religious ritual of ancient or modern times has appealed more forcibly to the eye or imagination. It was a stirring and suggestive sight beyond all question, which greeted such an one as a Levite as he stood in early morning within the court of the tabernacle, ready to perform those menial offices to which he had been appointed. Around him ran the white curtains of the sacred enclosure. A few paces from where he watched, the more favored members of his tribe, bearded, clad in their priestly robes of white, are standing barefoot near the altar of burnt offering, on the hearth of which the remnants of last night's sacrifices are still burning or possibly purifying themselves at the labor in preparation for their sacred duties. The lamb for the morning sacrifice is slain and burnt before his eyes. And a few moments afterward, the high priest in his official robes of white and blue, holiness to the Lord glistening in gold upon his fair mitre and the jeweled breastplate flashing in the sun, is passing to the holy place, the golden bells and pomegranates at the fringe of his tunic ringing as he goes. Perhaps as holy hands draw aside the curtain of the sanctuary, a glimpse is caught of the consecrated space within, lit by the golden candlestick and hazy with incense from the golden altar. Or if the interior is sealed, there nevertheless is the tent of Jehovah, its gorgeous party-colored curtain in full view, and its immediate covering of blue and gold and scarlet and purple, worked upon white with cherubim, just visible beneath the outer awnings. And the onlooker knew that within, not far from the ark and the mercy seat and the Shekinah, were hidden behind the veil, the high priest was performing divine service and meeting with Jehovah under exceptional privileges. As private members of the chosen race come streaming in with their offerings, the more active duties of the day begin. At one time, one who has inadvertently broken some commandment of the law is watching the blood of the sin offering which he has just brought and killed with his own hand, as it is smeared in atonement upon the horns of the altar. At another, the priest is listening over the head of a ram to a confession of fraud and computing the amount of monetary indemnity to be paid. Now a Hebrew woman, recently a mother, is modestly presenting herself with her offering of pigeons. And now the high priest is passing through the gate of the court, attended by a Levite carrying birds and scarlet wool and hyssop, He has been summoned without the camp to examine a restored leper. An application is made for the means of purifying some tent where the dead is lying. 
Here, in joyful recognition of the divine favor, a solitary worshiper is presenting a burnt offering. There, recumbent upon the holy soil, a whole family is merrily partaking of the remains of a peace offering. At one hour, a householder is compounding for the property which he has voluntarily vowed unto the Lord. <clears throat> the next, a Nazarite with unshorn hair and beard is presenting the prescribed sacrifices for release from his vow. Possibly as the day advances, a consecration to the priesthood is impressively performed. And these and other ceremonies are maintained the whole year round as the Jewish calendar ran its course in those times. It was as if one long bleat, one incessant lowing filled the air. It was as if one long continuous stream of sacrificial blood choked the floor of the court. The year opened with the evening sacrifice and new moon celebration, the expiring flames of which were fed the next day by the ordinary morning sacrifice and a round of individual presentations, which must sometimes have known no interruption until the smoke of the evening sacrifice again rose into the air and another day began. Day after day, the customary ceremonial was repeated till the Sabbath twilight fell and double sacrifices were slaughtered. On the 14th day of the first month came the solemn celebration of the Passover, when every home had its own sacrifices made. Then followed seven days of unleavened bread and their customary holy day ritual, bringing at length after the repeated diurnal, sabbatical, and menstrual formalities the fuller slaughter of Pentecost. Day after day, Sabbath after Sabbath, new moon after new moon, the authorized worship was again continued until there came a break to the monotony once more on the first day of the seventh month in the Feast of the Trumpets, and on the tenth day of the same month in the awful and grave procedure of the Day of Atonement, followed after five days' interval by the singular and more grateful worship of the Feast of Tabernacles, a seven-day feast. The year was afterward brought to a close by common series of daily, weekly, and monthly effusions of blood. Kind of a long story, but wow! One day... And all those sacrifices, of course, it kind of went through it in the whole year, but what a lot of blood. <clears throat> and how did it smell in the tabernacle? All these animals burning all the time, full of smoke. And what was the purpose of it all? Were these offered to keep God's wrath at bay? To keep God from getting too angry and destroying them all? Was that the purpose of the sacrifices? That's the way the heathen relate to their gods. They give sacrifice after sacrifice if maybe they can please their God. But that's not the way God had intended for these sacrifices to be. I believe God wanted the people to realize the exceeding sinfulness of their sin. Look what all it takes to cover their sin. All this blood, all these animals, day after day. And also to show them how big their sin problem was. You know, they tried to offer these sacrifices, but the next day they went out and, oh, I messed up again. Got to do another sacrifice. They just couldn't get over it. He also wanted them to learn to give up earthly things for heavenly. There's something more important than these lambs and these bulls and these goats that they had. Seek the heavenly things to learn to give up their will and their desires to learn to put God first and then also to point them to the perfect Lamb of God. Even though I don't know how many of them understood fully how this is all going to work out, 
It would have been hard for me to understand this. But that was the purpose of it. And then as we read later in the Bible, it didn't even seem like God enjoyed these sacrifices. Except that it showed obedience. When the people sacrificed, it showed obedience and a desire to come to God. But God didn't really enjoy the sacrifices themselves. In 1 Samuel 15.22 it says, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Micah 6, verse 6 and 7 and 8, Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And then the answer is in verse 8. He has showed thee, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of thee but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God? And then also in Psalms 15, 16, 51, 16 and 17, when David was um, repenting of his sin, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. David recognized that the burnt offerings and sacrifices, they're not an end in themselves. That's not really what the end of God had in mind. A broken and a contrite heart is way more important. <clears throat> and now as we move on in the Bible and come to the New Testament, we see a different kind of sacrifice. When John the Baptist saw Christ walking along the shore there, he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So this is a different kind of a lamb. <clears throat> As we read down through history, it was always the sinner that brought the offering. If you sin, you need to bring an offering. Bring it before God. Now what's, what do we have here? A different lamb. God, who was the one sinned against, is bringing the offering. He's bringing the offering Himself. He is providing the sacrifice. That's something totally unheard of. The sinner couldn't even have thought of such a thing. He didn't ask for it. He couldn't have even thought of such a thing. This was just totally amazing. God is providing His own sacrifice for us. I tried to think of something as absurd or whatever, as an illustration. And I have kind of a crude one. Um, tomorrow is April 15th when people pay their taxes. So what if we would decide, I'm going to ask the IRS to pay my taxes. That would be totally absurd, right? Whoever thought of such a thing. Well, this is even more absurd, that God would give the sacrifice for us to please Himself. But that's what He did. A perfect sacrifice. <clears throat> it was so perfect it only took one offering. Instead of day after day after day, only one offering. In Hebrews, has several verses that bring that out. And every priest standing daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. 
But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. So now the sacrifices are over. We're free from those obligations, free from that bloody mess. Wow. We don't have to worry about that anymore. <clears throat> That's so nice. <clears throat> well, what about these few verses in the New Testament? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Oh, maybe we're not done after all. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with su such sacrifices God is well pleased. And 1 Peter 2.5, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So we're still required to offer sacrifices, right? That's what it looks like. We need to still offer sacrifices. But instead of animals, we offer ourselves and it's a voluntary sacrifice. It needs to be voluntary. But if we don't offer ourselves, Jesus said, if we don't take up our cross, we cannot be his disciple. So it is a matter of life or death, isn't it? So it's obvious that God is asking us to make sacrifices. And I believe it's a daily sacrifice that we need to make. <clears throat> it says, uh, where I read about taking up our cross, I think one place it says, take up, take up his cross daily and follow me. So it's a daily sacrifice that we need to make. It's a sacrifice that affects all areas of our life. It will affect our family life. It will affect our marriage. It will affect our church and the relationship we have to the church. Our business or our neighbors. <clears throat> question we need to ask ourselves, I believe, is do we make a conscious effort to make sacrifices? It's easy for me, anyway, to assume that as I live my life and trying to please God in everything, that sacrifices will be made along the way, and that's probably good enough, right? It's easy to think that way. <clears throat> How does that attitude compare with Abel and Noah Abraham, that made special effort to offer sacrifices. They didn't just assume that, well, maybe tomorrow I'll do it or whatever. It was something that was very important to them. And as we think again of Romans 12.1, it says that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's something that takes conscious effort, I believe. It's not something that just happens by itself. Have we presented our bodies a living sacrifice today? Have I done that? Does that mean only one time when we get born again, we ought to say, God, I'm going to serve you the rest of my life. Or when we get baptized, is that enough? <clears throat> is that what it means to present our bodies? I think it needs to be more than that. And then as we go on in that verse, it says, 
the end, which is your reasonable service. Look at what God did for us. He provided a sacrifice for us, which was totally unheard of. Isn't it reasonable for us to present our bodies, to make a conscious effort to present our bodies, a living sacrifice every day? God, today I'm yours. I'm going to do whatever you say. I'm not going to do my own way. If we make that deliberate choice, it's going to make such a difference, I believe. <clears throat> a difference in the little things that tempt us. You know, we can avoid the big things, but there's some little things that tempt us. What about sharp words or annoyed thoughts toward other people because they were so, they just do things in such an annoying way that, ah, oh, I wish you wouldn't do that. I think some of those little things that if we make a deliberate choice to sacrifice each day, it'll take care of some of those things. Laziness or gossip or the list could go on. If we do that, it will enable the love of God to flow out of our lives. <clears throat> if we daily offer ourselves as a sacrifice. In Mark 12, 30 and 31, Jesus said, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And I believe it's impossible to fulfill these verses without sacrificing. Loving God and giving up our will for His, loving our neighbor, and that's where Earl's ending comes in, laying down our life for our brother. He brought that out so beautifully. And that's the sacrifice we need to make. But may the Lord bless.